Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Today we're joined by Steve Volpet, longtime NBA and Celtics reporter, most recently for the Boston Herald. Steve was awesome to talk to and ended up giving us about an hour of his time. So without any further delay, here's our chat with Steve Bullpett. All right, folks, we're here with Joe, our New Zealand correspondent, and we're very excited to welcome longtime Celtics and NBA journalist Steve Bullpett. Steve, welcome, sir. How's things? Living the dream. Great, great. Good to hear. And we're very appreciative of you uh, um, coming on the podcast. So look, let's just get straight into it here. Through your your breadth of experience, you know, over 35 years on the job, we're hoping that to start with, you can help us just make sense of this season. Like, what's your take on why this season has been so disappointing thus far? Um, I think, well, certainly, and realistically, the the injuries, the COVID situation, the uh, contact tracing absences, all those things have factored into it, and they and they really shouldn't be diminished in any way to to explain the mess that you've seen or the the inconsistencies that you've seen. Uh, But seriously, I I think that a a lot of the problem that this team that's been dogging this team all year has been evident the last few years. Um, They've gotten knocked out of the playoffs because at critical times, they'll go away from their ball movement and start to play hero ball. And that's not even always uh, a matter of guys being bad. It's guys trying to take responsibility onto themselves saying, okay, we need a play made. I'll go do this. I'll take responsibility, which is very gallant, but it takes the team away from what it's doing. So, you know, when you saw go back a few years, when it, when the Celtics lost to Cleveland in game seven at home, you know, that was a game the Celtics should have won. Uh, Cleveland was, was begging to die. Mm. And trust me, I can tell you this from talking to, to people involved. The the Warriors were very happy that they got to face Cleveland instead of the Celtics. Um, and But anyway, so they, that, that knocks them out then. Uh, they go the next year and, uh, you know, the thing happens in uh, Kyrie um, – the series against Milwaukee, they sweep the, the Pacers. They smoke Milwaukee in the first game, and then it just goes away. You know, things get difficult, and guys try to take it on themselves when it's it's like, do either of you guys play golf? Yep. Not well, but yes. Well, so one of the reasons why people don't play well is when things go bad, they try harder, and they swing harder, and they that's wrong. You can, you can still have to play hard on defense, but you've got to play within the team basketball wise to, to make things work. You've got to play smarter and, uh, and they don't do that. And that has been an issue this year a lot, but 
in the recent stretch before this that three-game losing streak when they were playing their best ball of the year, you saw them playing faster, much more up-tempo, uh, guys you know, running to, to get up on the break, and if not the break available, get into your secondary, playing harder defense. So it's there for them, but uh, it's a matter of whether they're going to realize it in time to steer out of their skid. What what I mean I don't want to Ben has a he has a run sheet he's very organised <laughs> he's fantastic like that Joe so, likes I, to go rogue. so, I, so hopefully I don't go too rogue on you but like the you know what we see right like this isn't our first time kind of with the the principal I guess principal members of this team and like just going forward what what is your what is your reason for optimism or pessimism perhaps on the other hand for optimism for them to to change and learn and and, and break these habits when when the games really matter um or are you or are you a little pessimistic because i've got a theory i want to try out with you oh um well the reason for optimism is that they have it within them i mean you know none of us have the are, are going to be uh, have the, the capability of uh, winning a Grammy award in the next year, but they have the capability of playing good basketball, playing really good basketball. So you know if they can get healthy, if things get together at the right time, and you know, uh, and that includes someone like Evan Fournier who is just in a, a terrible situation now. He shouldn't even be playing but he's out there trying to play so he can get reps, but he's not ready to play basketball. He had a rough bout with COVID. Um, So that would be the optimism is that it's with the optimism is it's within them. Right. And, but you have to go by what you see and to think that to feel any measure of confidence that what's in them is going to be on display, you know, the, History, the recent history certainly just doesn't back that up. No, it doesn't. I guess the reason my I have a theory, and, and this is I call it the Gordon Hayward theory. And I look at it like this. I was like, if Hayward really, really, really thought that the Celtics were just knocking on the door of a championship, I just don't think he would have left. To me, he looked at it like, eh, Charlotte, Boston. Indiana, not much of a material difference in my chances of winning a championship. So I might as well go and actually be a number two guy or something like that. That's my theory. So, and the reason I say that is, is he's sort of making an assessment of, at least at this point in time, the ability of, of Tatum and Brown to drive winning. Is that, you know, obviously I'm imagining Gordon Hayward's um, thinking there, and, and that's it's not necessarily true at all. But I, I just wonder how that sounds to you. Does that pass the sniff test, or where would you poke some holes in it? Well, the, the part about the Indiana, Charlotte, and Boston being in a similar mix, I don't buy that part at all. Um, you know, they the, those other two teams don't have the type of talent that that Boston has. It's just it's not there. Um, Gordon got put in a strange situation. And I, I've written about this a few times. He signs with the team and he's ready. He signs up. He's going to be the, the counterpoint scorer to Isaiah Thomas. And that's, he signs in July of that year. Uh, 
before he even gets to training camp, Isaiah's gone. Kyrie Irving's there. On paper, huge upgrade. Kyrie Irving, for whatever is going on between Kyrie's left and right ears, one of the most amazing basketball players on the planet. No one should ever overlook that fact. So he, things have already changed. He's already gone from being, you know, more of a scorer. Now you're going to play a little bit less of a role because you've got a better player next to you. Uh, I should have taken a step back. The Celtics obviously also uh, drafted Jason Tatum. Okay. So they come to training camp, they play the first game and Gordon hideous injury out for the year. During that time, Jason Tatum steps in. And I think the Celtics knew Jason Tatum would be good. But if the Celtics knew Jason Tatum was going to be that good that soon, do you spend the money Mm. to bring in a Gordon Hayward? Mm -hmm. You know, it it doesn't make sense. You would have spent that money to clean up a a more, a greater need. Um, So, you know, I, I think he was put in a strange position and it never quite fit. And I think it had to rankle him that he's here playing the right way, being a ball mover, and he might have led the league in unrewarded cuts, you know, because and you saw you see how much or you saw definitely earlier in the year how much the Celtics missed just the way he played the game. And, um, you know, that's it's, it was a hard situation. For him. I don't begrudge him making the move. Uh, he wasn't going to get the kind of contract in Boston that he got there. Yeah, interesting. Um, bringing it back to the, the current Celtics team, criticism of Brad Stevens, it's a really divisive topic among fans. Do you think he's deserved of, of some of the criticism that he's been getting at all for this season? I'm not there at all, really. I mean, there, earlier in the year, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to see uh, uh, Aaron Neesmith more. Because you look back at Miami, you know, they bring in, um, you know, Tyler Harrow and uh, and I'm blanking on the guys. Robinson. From, yeah. Duncan Robinson. Yeah. yeah. And so these, these are guys, they gave him the ball, let him shoot. And you saw the reward they got from it. And clearly, uh, Aaron Neesmith is, uh, it, you look at his mechanics, it's just, you know, the guy's a shooter. And what we're seeing now is he's also a hustler, which is, really important to get on the court. So that part there, I kind of wondered about at times, but the larger issue vis-a-vis Brad is if you've got a coach that knows what he's doing, that knows how to put guys in the right position, that knows how to look at his talent and give them a plan that works not only for the team, but also highlights their abilities as well. And then you have players who see this, who, when they do it, get great results, again, not only for the team, but for themselves. And then they still don't do it consistently. Should you be looking at the coach or should you be looking at the players? And and part of that, again, it doesn't mean they're bad people. Sometimes it's just a matter of uh, maturity and being around the block and, you know, getting used to stuff. So this iteration of the team is like much more talented on paper than say the 2017 team. And yet Brad Stevens had the 2017 team humming along perfectly on the court, ball movement cuts, all those things that, you know, you describe about a functionally sound basketball team. What is it about the personnel on this team where it's just not sticking with Brad Stevens for most of the time? Well, I, I think you get guys that, that 
have the ability, like, you know, I'm Jason Tatum, I can, or I'm Jalen Brown, I can make a play here. I can break down my defender and make this play. Yeah. And you can hit a tough shot. Good. But it's better, you're better off taking, moving the ball and just catching it without a dribble and finishing. Your life is easier. The team shoots a higher percentage, all those things. But, you know, guys, I remember talking to Pierce about Paul Pierce about this a long time ago. And he said for the first bunch of years, guys want to establish themselves. And it's not always like a conscious thing. It's like a subconscious. They want to prove, hey, I'm this, I'm an all-star, I'm all these things. And again, you know, I don't mean to crack on a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or anybody. You know, it's it's human nature to want to, if you're a, a, a good person, to want to take responsibility and go do something. But it's it's hard to get that collective mentality. And uh, especially when you've got a lineup that's changing all the time because of guys coming in and out with injuries. I mean, the, I think it's fair to assume that the Celtics would be much further along if uh, Kemba Walker had been not only there from the start of the year, but ready. Because even after he came back, he wasn't making the kind of moves that Kemba Walker can make because he had that concern. Like if I do this, you know, will I injure something? And you have to, so not only do you have to get back on the floor and then secondly, get your wind and get your conditioning, but you've got to cross that, that intellectual, the, the mental threshold as well to say, okay, I can do this and without hesitating because basketball conscious thought basketball you're dead. It's got to be instinctive. And, you know, so if he'd have been there to start, things are better, uh, all these things. So that's kind of feeds into where they can go, but also the problems that we've seen. Just just a wee, you know, a wee bit of devil's advocate. Now, this is actually genuine pushback. It's not, it's not devil's advocate stuff. But there's two areas that the Celtics – um, have really struggled with in my memory under, under Stevens. One is defensive rebounding. We've never been a good defensive rebounding team with them. I, I suspect that's possibly a, a schematic thing and there's some payoff for it. But the one other thing is that we're notoriously poor at drawing free throws. And when I'm watching our team, I'm just like, guys, we need pressure on the basket. It just feels like we never get pressure on the basket. And with one group of players, sure, that's that's you know that's easy to pin on, uh, uh, you know that particular group of players. But when it's across a you know a reasonable sample size of you know this is season number eight, isn't it? So I'm like, is there something schematic offensively that discourages players from putting pressure on on the rim, or you know like it just doesn't seem to be it, to me. It just I'm just like, why isn't it there? We've had a I think with Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, we were, we we're pretty good at it, but I mean. It just doesn't seem to be pressure on the hoop so often to me. And and I'm just like, to what extent is that, a, I guess, a, a shortcoming of, of scheme or, or coach? He's he's not telling them not to drive. Sorry for the double negative. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and you saw what happened in that stretch where they had spread the floor and uh, Jason Tatum was was really driving to the basket a lot. That's another thing that a few years ago, I remember having a conversation with Paul Pierce and him saying, look, 
Tatum needs to be getting to the free throw line a lot more, which means getting to the basket a lot more. And Jason came back this year stronger. He had his COVID issue as well. And maybe that, you know, played into it. You know, he's, I guess he's using an inhaler before games. So it's hard, it's hard to know how much of that factors in, but clearly the idea that the, the, what the Celtics offense is designed to do and what you see, well, a couple of things, first of all, get up the floor fast. Um, not sure how familiar you guys are with uh, American baseball, but Brad Stevens, a lot of games looks like a third base coach trying to wave a guy in trying to score from first on a single and he's, you know, get up the floor, get up the floor. So that would help things, but yeah, they exactly. One more. Um, this is a, the Red Sox had a, a third base coach named Wendell Kim. They used to call him windmill Wendell. Um, but uh, yeah, they, that's part of the plan. And, and the idea is not just to get to the basket, to get to the, the rim and get and be make shots or get fouled. That's priority one. But the secondary part of that is get into the paint, draw defense, have your wings, have you guys holding their corners and move the ball out. I mean, how many times have you seen? Well, it happens with the Celtics some, and it happens with teams like Utah infinitely more. A guy will get into the paint, draw the defense, ball goes to the corner. If it's not a wide open shot, it gets moved out to the wing. That's not only successful basketball, that's beautiful basketball to watch. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Tell me about it. I mean, look, sorry, I'm, I'm on a bit of a rant on this stuff because it's just driving me nuts, Steve. Help me out. Help me out here, Steve. <laughs> well, fortunately, you don't live far from nuts, so you save money on gas, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's this thing that I've noticed, and it's lazy threes just don't go in at the same rate, even if they're, even if they're not that contested. Lazy threes just don't go on. It's like when you earn the three, that's when it goes in, you know, and it's it's on the back of a stop or it's, you know, it's on the back of penetration and a kick out. I mean, there's a, there's a pretty obvious reason. It's a lot easier to shoot a ball when the pass comes straight towards you as opposed to from the side. But it's just like, man, it drives me nuts the amount of lazy threes we take. Like we can get that anytime, Steve, anytime, anytime. Why, Joe's a tortured soul. Do we do we charge him for uh, this uh, counseling session, or should he be lying on a couch right now? I mean, yeah, we we often have uh, episodes titled "Fan Therapy," um, <laughs> and mostly they're for Joe, uh, not for the no, listeners. It's, it's absolutely true. I mean, um, when you when you can catch and shoot at the three point arc squared up, life is good, and it's another benefit of ball movement. Getting touches to go around, it is hard for a guy like Shemi Ojale to be in the corner doing what he's doing his job, doesn't see the ball for four or five possessions and it gets sent out to him with a few seconds left on the shot clock. It's like, you know, he's got no, he's not in rhythm. He doesn't get his touches. And I, and I think actually that kind of thing starts on the defensive end because when you pressure the ball defensively, when you can get a turnover, get easy baskets. I think that the Celtics percentage of easy baskets has got to be in the, you know, certainly in the lower half of the league, it would seem just from a, you know, uh, a non-analytic eye test. Uh, it certainly looks that way. 
But to get to your point about defensive rebounding, the every defense in the league is designed to, to help when a guy gets a step on somebody. And that, you know, and the Celtics also, look, have never had big beasts. Uh, Aaron Baines, um, who was born in New Zealand. Correct. Like, Correct. And then, like, disavowed it. Right, yeah. so he made the right decision. Wow. That's why we that's why we shipped his ass to Phoenix. <laughs> See, you two guys, ding, let's you know. Um, but it, but that's they, and even uh, Aaron, as as beefy as he is, you know, wasn't huge with the moving feet thing. And you know, when you're playing against centers like uh, uh, Joel Embiid, who's going to step outside and shoot over you if you don't come out, you know that that's a necessity too. I mean. I loved Aaron's defensive philosophy, which to me was you may score, but it's going to hurt. Um, I, but so that part there, I think that to get to your point more directly, I think the Celtics are, first of all, they need to be on the ball, uh, being into the ball more. Um, and I think that they're too quick to help. I think, you know, guard your yard, uh, stay with your man, keep him, you know, you got him, deal with him. Then if he gets a step, of course you need help at that point. But I think that they're almost too quick to, uh, to give help, which puts you in rotation, which means that, you know, a shot goes up and, you know, the offensive rebound is there for the other club. Yeah. Often but I don't think like- that's a schematic thing directly. I think that's, you know, guys not playing, not being into the ball as, as much as they need to be on defense at the start. Right. Hmm. Shifting a little bit. So obviously it's been a really frustrating season and one pillar of hope is the all-star duo, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. Steve, you've been covering the team for over 35 years. In in your time with the team, you've seen a number of superstars and all-star duos. How does the buzz around Tatum and Brown from those, you know, among the team and and close to the team compared to um, duos prior, such as Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker? Well, I I think this duo as a duo combined is better. Uh, And, but buzz is, buzz can be a relative thing. Uh, There was big buzz around Pierce and Antoine Walker, mainly because you were coming from an era where the Celtics had stunk for a bunch of years. So just any kind of glimmer of hope, there was a lot, a lot on that. But now I think, you know, um, there's, there's been more expected of the Celtics coming into this. Um, and to a lot of people, Jalen Brown's development into one of those, you know, a duo guy catches some people off guard or has caught some people off guard the last couple of years. So, um, you know, I, I think these guys certainly stack up well, but uh, in terms of buzz, you're not going to get buzz around here until you win and win consistently because, you know, um, whereas some, a, a number of cities around the league, it's, hey, you know, the team we followed got to the playoffs and they even made it to the second round. You know, around here, that's considered, basically considered failure. Sure. Interesting. <laughs> you're, playing, you're playing under your home games are being played under 17 pieces of laundry that kind of <laughs> stare down at you. And, uh, you know, so expectation comes from fabric above 
Yeah, I, I I also, you know, the most fun that you tend to have, right? Like that, I imagine there was a real buzz around IT, you know, uh, when he was tearing it up, and it's also a function of how you're performing relative to actual expectations. Like the actual expectations of that team were exceeded every single year, all three years, you know, and um and and Tatum and Brown, perhaps it says something that they have the burden of expectation, right? Um, maybe that's um, maybe that's a sort of, you know, it's a, it's a it signifies it signifies the buzz that would be there. Well, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry, sorry, Steve. Go ahead. No, I, I just I think the the IT thing was a was a um, kind of a lightning bolt, um, and I, I think he doesn't I mean the fact that the the Celtics never haven't got over the hump and gotten into the finals the last couple of years has taken away from it. But um, there are a lot of teams in the league that would have loved to be in the Celtics position the last few years. This year, it's been weird. And again, I think this is largely as much as you, I, you, you can rightfully be driven to distraction by how things go on the floor. This is largely going to be looked at as kind of an asterisk kind of year, you know, for a lot of reasons, valid ones. Um, but I think Isaiah, deserves a lot of credit for making the Celtics, you know, from taking them from a, a being a Siberia kind of team to uh, becoming a place where free agents would want to come, uh, a team that was viewed as on the rise and a place where you can go and be successful. And, you know, as Kevin Garnett didn't want to be traded to the Celtics initially. And now that once he came here and saw and experienced uh, what it's like to play on a franchise with this much history and to have the, the former players be around and to be a part of that, you know, I would, he's said it's been, it was probably the best basketball experience of his life. And, you know, even a guy like Walton, Bill Walton, similar thing. Um, although he wanted to be here originally <laughs> and, and beyond. So. Do you think that point still resonates with the players on the team, particularly the, the all-star players like Tatum and Brown? Because uh, something that stresses out a lot of fans of the team, I think, is, you know, obviously there's a lot of player movement from one team to another in this era of basketball. Do you think that point of, like, it's important to be a Celtic, it's significant for my career that I'm a Celtic, does that ring true within players' minds today? Um, I think I think it... it does to the extent of when things are going well, when there's success. Um, but I think that was, I think it was similar always, you know, players who came to the Celtics at what, you know, when Bailey Howell came to the Celtics a billion years ago, was he all excited to be a Celtic? He was excited to, to get to a place where he could play. And uh, I mean, Don Nelson was kind of a cast off comes here is part of very good teams, championship teams. And then it's, you know, then you develop, that's, you know, you develop that kind of brotherhood by going through things together and having success together, you know? And so, you know, guys feel that Celtic thing um, when they're part of it, when they're in the, in the battle, uh, which I, a word I hesitate to use because it's uh, derived from far more important things, but, you know, something as simple as when the Celtics were, um, kind of getting beat a few years ago by Miami and uh, the, the crowd, you know, in the waning moments of the game, they're getting whacked. 
starts chaining let's go Celtics that stuck with a lot of those guys but you know when they get off the floor when they get away from their team for a while when the season's over and a couple of weeks later you know it's business and any player who doesn't look at it as a business you know is is hurting himself and you can't do that in in this kind of thing it's it's uh you know you, you've got to take care of your of what you can it kind of makes me it kind of makes me sad a little bit like i'm not surprised to hear it but coming from down here um i don't know if the american look i'm going to have another little theory here i don't know if this quite maps onto the american psyche as well Hold on, wait, wait, like, let me get my tinfoil hat and be ready <laughs> <laughs> okay. sorry well, you, uh the, the listeners of the pod won't hear this but Stephen, in an attempt to wind uh ben up he held up an all blacks jersey at the start at the start of this podcast. still rattled actually he's still rattled but down he, like down up. here down here right like there's this concept of representative sports that doesn't really i've never seen an equivalent of it in the states like for for instance here yeah, like when we're playing little little kids basketball even you're trying to you you might play for your your town and then you might in my case you might go up to your province i never play for my province in ben's case it'd be your state and then you represent your your country like there's that 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 sort of um pyramid of representation you know like you go and you have an awful lot of pride so when you hold up that jersey that represents that represents a people a people group and like the players who wear that jersey are of that group of people and are representing that group of people. Um, in our minds down here, it's it's kind of like that's that's what it's about. So it's easy for us to imagine things like having pride in the in the jersey. That's like a kind of a little a little kind of trope that we we would trot out down here. Um, it's it's more easy for us to imagine like pride in representing the city of Boston than I than I imagine it is for you know for particularly for an athlete in America, because they haven't grown up actually representing things, right? Like they they might make a USA basketball team, but there's no Georgia State age group team, right? They play AAU. Well, there's, you know, there's your high school team. Uh, there's your, your college team. But a lot of these guys are in college for, what, a year? Um, a lot of the, the stars, certainly. Um, I, you know, I think there is that when you're in the middle of it. Certainly, you could not have watched the Red Sox in the summer uh, when there was the marathon bombing and, oh, and, right, watched, right. and watched that. And then they win the championship and uh, they had, you know, these the Boston 617, their area code, the jerseys would hang in the, the, the dugout. And during the parade, uh, they, it, the parade crossed the marathon finish line. And the team, the, the parade stopped. Players came out and took uh, championship trophies and um, uh, hung the jerseys over them. And I think I think they sang "God Bless America," um, whatever. I forget whether it was the anthem or or that. But um, you know, there was a sense that that team. You now they're they're part of the the city and certainly part of the you know the part of the fabric of the city that year. But, and this is what I'll, I'll fight back on your point is, when you're a player and you can feel this way, but, you know, uh, and you can be fighting for the Celtics and saying, I want to be a Celtic and I'll, I'm going to get a shamrock tattooed or me, all this stuff. And then the trade deadline comes in February and they trade your ass. So, you know, what 
what Isaiah Thomas gave up for the Celtics playing through that hip injury was, uh, you know, amazing. But when the season was over and made a chance to get Kyrie Irving gone. So uh, should the players, I think it'd be wrong to expect that the players should feel that way. You know, I think they do in a lot of cases when they're in the middle of it, but in terms of like, you know, uh, it's hard to feel that way when you know that if they can get someone better than you tomorrow, you're gone. And oh, you know, so your loyalty to them uh, is can never it's it's never going to be able to be matched. It's never going to be matched. And it shouldn't be matched because the team is there to win for the team, for the entity. You know, so it's hard for players when they're just pieces of that. Yeah, it's sometimes, but it's totally, totally fair enough. It's just really interesting. Like you can't be traded from the All Blacks, for example. You can't sign with the All Blacks. You can't be traded from them. So, so you're comparing, you and, know, uh, you're comparing oranges and All Blacks. Exactly. <laughs> all, all that to say, there's this, you know, I think, and there's this part of um, the mystique around the Celtics that you are kind of following this long line of tradition, which is. You know that the, the I guess the language around it is more akin to what I would see with the All Blacks, you know, and that you're following this long line of people. Like they'll they'll do these things where they do team photos, and like the team photo shows like every All Black ever, you know, um, like the team of five million. And there's a sort of maybe we have this kind of unspoken expectation of our players that it would be like that, and in and in, from our cultural context, it almost makes more sense because that's how we kind of understand sport. Right. Like we do have professional teams, but ultimately the national team, that's actually that's what we actually care about for all our sports. That's that's the peak of the season. That's the peak of the whole thing. Um, And it's almost like it's almost like we we probably want it both ways. Right. We we want to be we want these players undying loyalty. Um, And we also want to be able to cut them if they're not working out. But the um, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make here is that. Um, there's somewhat of an incoherence in the expectation around, uh, you know, of players to, to, to be like that, you know, given, given, given the reasons that you just say. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, in terms of, you know, like you said, you, you can't get traded from the All Blacks. I think I'm on, I'll go out on a limb, but I'm going to make this bold statement. I don't think you're going to see United States, their basketball team trade LeBron James to Canada. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. So, you know, it's, you know, again, it's you're talking about two different things here and the guys that do the Olympic situation, um, you know, uh, they're into it, you know, they always, they, they always have been. And even as professionals have gotten into it, you know, you'll see some guys miss the Olympics. Maybe they're injured and maybe they're, they have to protect, um, you know, their opportunity, their limited opportunity to make a living. You know, that happens in a rare case where a guy might miss an Olympics for, for certain reasons. But, you know, I, I think there's that feeling there, but it's brief here. It's brief because um, I would probably hazard a guess that professional sports in the States um, are a little more glorified and certainly financially a lot more lucrative than they are in other parts of the world. I mean, well, 
I guess the the opposite way to look at it would be uh, football or what we American soccer in Europe. Uh, what that looks like there relative to what it looks like in the United States, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the greater import there versus here. Interesting. Now, there is a game about to start, so we do have to wrap this up pretty quickly. Before we go, though, Steve, we've just got a few very quick uh, questions to get to from the Celtics Reddit community. Just going to rattle these off very quickly. So the first one is from a user called Burner for Design, and they ask, how do players feel about the dumping of Daniel Tice, and does it in any way compare to the Kendrick Perkins trade in terms of how it's perceived by the team? No. Um, the, the Tice move, they weren't going to be able to re-sign him this summer. Uh, he wasn't going to be. He was going to be able to get more elsewhere. They knew that, but that was all. That deal was also made because the Celtics realized it was time that, that Rob Williams needed that time, needed those minutes. So that's why that was made. The the Kendrick Perkins thing was uh, that deal was made in a similar with a similar vein that they weren't going to be able to pay. They weren't going to pay Kendrick Perkins what he might get in the open market. And it's funny how the players have talked about that afterwards, but. There were players that, as, as good as Perkins was for this team, there were players who passed him the ball that weren't exactly excited about his hands. Um, so, uh, you know, but so I don't think the Tice thing was – look, I think Tice – if the Celtics had done better, I think we'd be looking at Tice differently. It's not his fault. I admire the hell out of the guy. Uh, as you see a lot of guys – where someone large will be coming in for a dunk and they want to get the hell out of Dodge because they don't want to be on the poster. Daniel Tice always stuck his nose in there, never backed off of those situations. And in today's world, I think that's something that you you really have to admire in a guy. I don't, I, I, it drove me crazy. It felt like a little bit of a mini curse of IT sort of thing. But um, anyway, that's a rabbit hole that we may not have time to go down. Um <laughs> So does, does your car, is, is the GPS in your car already programmed for crazy? Because you're talking about driving you crazy in a lot of, a lot tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would appear so. It would appear so. That's what this hey, season has done to you. Fans. a bad person. We've got, a, we've got a question from uh, user Larbird33, co-host of the show. Unfortunately, not here tonight. Um, he says, um, you should ask him if he remembers any deals that were close to happening but fell through. Maybe he reported on all of them, but I imagine there's a couple he might have sat on. Any tidbits for the uh, for the audience? Yeah, there was a huge one years ago, and it it, it resonates today, and you'll you'll know why. Um, the Celtics. Of, of, I'm trying to think of the exact year, years. It was late '80s, um, but Dallas really wanted Kevin McHale. And they were going to be giving up uh, Detlef Shrimp, Sam Perkins, and a pick. And the Celtics would have had to include more to make this, the trade, make the numbers work. But it was going to have that was a deal that was there. And from the Celtics' point standpoint, also, it was after McHale had played on the broken foot in the '87 playoffs. So he was, you know, although he was certainly a very good player after that, it wasn't the same. The Celtics' dynamic had changed because prior to that. McHale, when they played, for example, uh, Atlanta, McHale would guard Dominique. Uh, Parrish would guard Kevin Willis. Larry could guard Tree Rollins, who wasn't getting the basketball. So, you know, all of a sudden when Larry has to guard Dominique, that's when you get that Dominique-Larry shootout in the playoffs the next year, I believe. So, um, you know, so that deal was something that was huge. Red stepped in, didn't want it to happen. 
And the Celtics had already started their, their slide by then. Larry had been playing hurt a lot. And when I say it, it resonates to today. Danny Ainge was in the middle of that. He saw all that happening. We, he and I talked about it at the time. He was a player here. So that's why you saw Danny make the deal with, uh, with Brooklyn for Pierce and Garnett. You know, whereas using the Celtic mentality of the late 80s, they would have kept those guys and, and you know, driven them until the wheels fell off. So, um, again, you know, so stuff like that was a huge one um, that that really could, excuse me, Shrimp and Perkins were still on the uh, ascending at that point. So if the Celtics had made that deal, uh, it, it might have squeezed a few more contending years out of them. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a juicy one. I'm glad we asked that question. Um, it seems weird to now pivot from talking about Larry Bird and Kevin McHale to asking about Peyton Pritchard, but that's the next question. The shark from Nemo asks, uh, what does he see as Peyton Pritchard's ceiling? Uh, when first drafted, he was compared to TJ McConnell and a poor man's Fred Van Vliet. Uh, where does his ceiling sit now that we're three quarters of the way through his rookie season? Uh, well, the TJ thing, as much as I like him as a player... Peyton's much more of a shooter. Um, and uh, he, his work ethic, you know, before the game and things like, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, the sweat he gets in an hour or two before a game. Um, and the reason why you saw him playing early was it kind of harkens back to a point we were discussing earlier in this conversation. Uh, Brad likes him because he pushes the ball up the floor. So, uh, you know, uh, that's, a big part. So I, I think he's, I think he's going to be, a, he's very good now. I think he's a guy that can be a, a, a large contributor to a, a contending team. And I think he's going to get better as he um, learns the nuances more, you know, NBA spacing and things like that. But he also does something that other Celtics need to do more, which is defensively move your feet and get into guys Um Maybe it looks, maybe he looks like he's moving faster and harder because he's smaller, so his his legs aren't as uh, a little hotter. <laughs> moving as longer dis as larger distances. But uh, I'm a Peyton Pritchard guy. Uh, I, I liked him when he was in college, and you always wonder how that's going to translate uh, for guards. But um, he came here and saw things, and then realized how hard he had to work, you know, like redouble his efforts. So. And I'll, I'll toss out one more thing here. Um, and it's something I, if, if there are younger people that might listen to this podcast, I think it's something that's really instructive. Um, when I've spoken to teams, when I spoke to my college team, University of Dayton, a couple of years ago, I tell this story. Uh, a few years ago, the Warriors came through Boston and they played the night before in, uh, in Washington. They had an off day practice. So I had to go to their practice to do a column on Steph Curry. Um, and our, our colleges are in the same league, so we have a running $5 bet whenever the teams play. I, I've told him that he's my retirement plan. <laughs> um, but so at practice gets over. We talk to the coaches, a few other people, and then Steph's still out on the court with an assistant coach, and he's taking three-pointers, you know, five, 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 and five, around the key, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, he finishes. I speak to him. Uh, we get a few laughs and thanks for the time. Good to see you. Thanks. He's walking away. I said, Steph, one more thing. 
how many shots do you get up after practice? So 250. Wow. Okay. It's not like Steph Curry forgot how to shoot on the flight from DC to Boston. It's a very short flight. It's hard to forget much in that short period of time. So this is a guy that's one of the greatest shooters the game's ever known. And he thinks he still has to do this. So if you're a player, if you're a young player, what do you have to do? You know, and that's the kind of thing that once you do that, and Larry Bird was the same way. You know, my theory, to, I don't mean to uh, tar on our, uh, our New Zealand friends, you know, theory thing, but <laughs> mine is that guys don't make shots at the end of games just because they're talented. They make the shots in the games because they've put the work in and their mentality is, hey, I've earned the right to make this shot. And they have that as a as a, an emotional base when they go up to shoot. So, um, you know, I I think that, that a guy like Peyton Pritchard, what he does pregame, that factors into that a lot. And, you know, um, if if people are out there aren't listening, aren't learning from what a Steph Curry is doing and how he's changing the game and how at a guy his size, he's playing in a game of giants and having that huge an impact, you know, it's it's a lesson well learned and one that you'll regret if you if you don't uh, heed it. Um, yeah, that's great. It's always great to hear a positive report. Yeah, about, absolutely. About, about someone. Um Steve, um, final question from user uh, No Scrotes McFly. Um, the one big thing that you've been really right on about the Celtics and one big thing that you've been really wrong on. Oh, I don't know. Um, I always look at what's the next thing. So I don't, you know, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I what I was wrong on, um, uh, that sushi in Sacramento that time, I think that was a huge <laughs> mistake. Um, you know, maybe it's just, a, a, I'm sure there's something, I wish it'd given me more time because I'll probably think of 10 things, uh, but but pressed on it in the moment. Um, hmm. I was wrong about Jawan Johnson. I thought he was going to be a player. Um, I was wrong about, uh, I don't know, probably, probably more stuff than we have time for. <laughs> Even if we had infinite time, we still wouldn't have enough, probably. But I wish I could think of a real doozy here. Well, I'll I'll have to fill in the blanks for you, Steve. Um, Please. So, um, and this this will be, I guess, my final comment. So, when my my experience with the Celtics, I started following them after Rick Pitino got fired, and they made a run and for the O one playoffs. They didn't make it, but they got really close, and I was I've been locked in ever since. And the the the. In that period of time through the 2000s, we still didn't really have access to like league pass and stuff like that. And so my way of experiencing it was really ultimately via your columns and from some of your colleagues over at the Globe. Um, and um, what always stuck out to me is I always felt like you gave Angel a really fair shake. Um, there were some other media members who I felt like didn't at the time. And um, you, you might not, you, I might be overstating your case there, but I always felt like you gave him a real fair shake. And you were, if you were, in my memory, you're very right about that. He's been a very, very fruitful um, contributor to, to the Celtics. And um, for me, it's just really special to be able to talk to you um, because because so much of my Celtics experience was mediated through your words. Um, and um, I can still remember your sign off, Steve. There's nobody wins unless everybody wins. <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, thank you. 
uh, I will say that that um, that's like well, thank you. Number one, um, number two, that's to me really important to know who you're working for. I mean, you're sure you're you've got bosses at your newspaper, but um, you know you're you're there to serve the people that are taking their time to read you. Um, and I always thought that and you see some people, a lot, most people do, but some people who just put stuff out there. I've, uh, I go back to my, to my university, university of Dayton and teach for a week every year. And I always say that like when you're a, a columnist or a, um, uh, or you're a, say you're on a talk show as a talk show host, you have the right to give your opinion. Uh, they request that you give your opinion. Um, but you owe it to your readers, your listeners, that your opinion be based on a true story. So, um, you know, um, that means just putting in the work. Um, I, I think Ainge might argue with you about giving him a fair shake all the time. Um, but, you know, certainly anything that comes up with the Celtics or the team you cover, you owe it to your readers to talk to other pe- everyone involved intimately that you can to get the whole story. So what, you know, Ainge was pretty sure, was pretty sure that if something comes up, that's negative about the team, he's going to get a phone call, you know, is, is there something that's that you think is incorrect here or do you want to have your say in this? You know, but I'm, I'm sure he didn't like it when, you know, I, I spoke to a number of uh, GMs throughout the league who weren't so much appreciative of the way Danny dealt with things. You know, I mean, the same reason that, that uh, fans were teed off at Ainge for years about just the way he would act on the floor. That's, you know, he's that kind of kid. He's kind of bratish that way. Uh, but, you know, it made him a competitive player. It made him a competitive GM. And relative to the league, he's been successful. Um, you know, definitely call out his mistakes. But, you know, um, look at the situation relatively. Mm, interesting. Look, I think that's a really good place to, to wrap it up. And just to, to echo Joe's sentiments there, Steve, like it, it is an absolute pleasure having you on prior to League Pass, prior to access to the NBA in in our part of the world. Uh, a lot of that NBA was experienced through yourself and, and your colleagues there as well. So it really is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for your time. The Celtics are currently losing to the Spurs. So that's something we've got to get to. And Steve is currently taunting me. This is great radio. Taunting me holding up an All Blacks jersey just for all the people listening. Have you guys had Nick Curios on? Not yet. No, we're, we're working towards it. But uh, hopefully at some point we'll uh, we'll get him on board. And look, Steve, we're going to have to send you some Australian merchandise, mate, because um, something to brighten up your home there because that, that New Zealand merch, is, it's a little dark, a little dreary. I'll go no, nice in the fireplace through those cold winters. We've got an ocean out the window. We're good here. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Steve Bullpet, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks again. Guys, be well, okay? All right, that's going to do it for this one. Thanks again to Steve Bullpet for coming on the show. Thanks to Joe, our New Zealand correspondent, and thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back a little later in the week. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.